Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey, this is what I want to do this morning. uh, I want to continue our series here that we're calling Letters from Heaven. Uh, What we're doing is we're spending seven weeks just sort of unpacking the seven letters that Jesus dictates to the seven churches in Revelation. This is our fourth Sunday in this series, and uh, this morning's message is called Morning Star. Morning Star, and I think you'll see why. Why don't we go ahead and just read the scripture this morning? These are the words of Jesus. It goes like this. To the angel in the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality And the eating of food sacrificed to idols, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. By the way, isn't, see, the Lord is always kind. He's like extending mercy to even people like Jezebel. But I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. That one will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, this is our text this morning. It's a little more hardcore than our last text. A little more direct. See, this is what I love about Jesus in the book of Revelation. It just sort of upends our, some, of our, like, um, some of our current uh, understandings of who Jesus is. Sometimes we've gotten the idea that Jesus is just a little cuddle mouse. You know, and then you meet Jesus in Revelation, you find out, wow, he's a man. Like Jesus is a man, you know, and he is not afraid to say what needs to be said. This is very good for us. But before we dig deeper into the text, I just want to, I want to start with, um, well, with this idea. How many of you realize that there's a fine line between keeping peace and propping up disaster? You know? Uh, and there's a fine line between being a patient person and then being an enabler, you know? Uh, and there's a fine line between being easygoing and being a pushover. And I think most of us probably know this. Um, and honestly, I think this is a lot of what it means to grow up or to eventually become a mature person. Maturity is all about learning when we need to go along, and then sometimes it's about realizing when something needs to be challenged. That's part of what maturity does for you. Okay, so let's do this. Let's just change the subject for a minute. Uh, Let's talk about food. Like really delicious food. 
You know the thing that makes food really, really delicious? And by the way here, I'm talking about in the meta sense. Like, think as meta as you can. What makes food really, really delicious? The thing that makes food really delicious in sort of like the biggest meta sense is this. It's contrast. Contrast is what makes food really delicious. Uh, How many of you know that sugar is good? Sugar is good. Like, my kids will cut you over sugar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, like, if you stand between Rowan and, and a sugar snack, like, and if you put a knife in his hand, he'd cut some of you, okay? That, and that's not just Rowan. That's, like, probably your kids, too, you know? But, but how many of you know that if the recipe is all sugar and nothing else, that really, really quickly it gets to be heavy and uninteresting, you know? Yeah. Like, how many, how many bites of fudge does a person actually eat? Can I tell you the answer? It's one. It's just one. Have you ever noticed that? You take a bite of fudge, you're like, that's pretty good. And you're like, yeah, and I'm done. And that was it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> one bite of fudge. Josh and I have had this talk a time or two. Yeah. And how many of you know that like salt is really good? But if it's too salty, if it's all salt, ah, it just doesn't work. Okay. Well, the other week, I think it was two weeks ago, Heather and I were at home and we like to cook together, and we were making these little, we were making these little lettuce wrap things, you know, like, I don't even know what they are, but you take lettuce, and you put, like, grilled chicken stuff in them, and I like to make this Asian orange chicken thing, you know, and I counted up the other day, in order for me to make Asian orange chicken, it literally takes 10 different things, you know, and I made my Asian chicken, and I grilled it, but then we made all these condiments, so we made, like, some, um, we made some carrots that we soaked in lime juice, and uh, then we picked all the little uh, cilantro leaves off, and we washed them so it got the grit out, you know? Have you ever had cilantro grit in your mouth? It's disappointing. Gosh, what is that stuff? But we did that, and then, but then, then we also made these little pickled cucumbers. Heather made these, like, quick pickled cucumbers, so she, like, you know, skinned the cucumbers. Skin, peeled the cucumbers and chopped them up, and then she put them in this brine that was that had some sugar and had some water and had some salt and had some vinegar and had some pepper and had some garlic. And she like put this all together, and then you know you make your lettuce wrap and you put your chicken in it and you put all the condiments on it and and you put the peanut sauce and, and when you, you put it all together, it's absolutely delicious. And now everything everything was delicious. But those little cucumbers were, were like, those were, those were really, really delicious. I mean, those were like opioid level, you know? <laughs> and and you, you have to ask yourself, why, why are the cucumbers so delicious, right? Well, it's because it touches all the bases, you know? Well, the cucumber itself is crunchy, and then you get the sugar, and then you get the salt, and then you get the vinegar, the, like the sour. And when you do all that together, how many of you know that's like, that's it? Like, you can't improve upon it, right? And I'm just proving my point here. The reason it's delicious is because it's, it's contrast. The sugar needs the salt. The salt needs the vinegar. The garlic and the herby thing is working with everything. It's just amazing. And then on top, you get the crunch. Okay, that's what makes it work. And it's the same in our lives, too. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, getting along is a good thing. Overlooking petty offenses that's a good thing, and it's a sign of maturity. 
unless, unless it's not really peace. Unless we go too far. Um, here's something I've noticed. Sometimes, sometimes it's not real peace that's operating in our lives. It is fear and anxiety masquerading as peace. Yeah. Uh, how many of you know that sometimes you don't fight not because there's peace or agreement, but because you're afraid, right? Or how many times, how many of you know in this room that sometimes you don't fight and, you know, you keep the peace only because you're too tired to work through the deeper issues to get down to the bottom where real peace exists, you know? And, and then when that happens, what is it? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's all sugar and no acid, you know? It's all salt and no fat. It's no contrast. It's boring. It's inedible, not delicious, missing the point. And here's what we have in this passage this morning, right up front. One more time. Uh, this letter that we read this morning, it's filled with so many of the things that we've read in the past few weeks. Really familiar themes are coming out again, which is basically to say that pretty much all people in all places at all times are struggling with the same things. You know, Jesus keeps highlighting a lot of the same things. And here's what Jesus says to this church this morning. He says, I've seen your love. I've seen your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And you know what? That's all good. We need that. But his complaint points out an issue. He says, you permit that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to lead my servants astray. And here's one way of putting all of these ideas together. How many of you know that you can love uh, that you can have faith, you can serve, and you can patiently endure too much. Sometimes you can patiently put up with things that Jesus is not patiently putting up with. That's what this passage is about. That's what's going on in this church. This church was putting up with too much. Their patient endurance, which is a good thing, had slid over into something that was harming the church rather than serving the church. And in doing so, they were losing contrast. It was all sugar and they were losing feeling in their body. Now let me just say this, because some of you are probably doing the math. My little cooking metaphor eventually breaks down. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that we need uh, the sour notes of sin to, contra to contrast with the sweetness of God's goodness. I'm not saying that. Instead, what I'm trying to highlight is the fact that faithfulness to Jesus is sometimes moving in a different direction than we thought. And what I am trying to say this morning is that actual love and actual peace and actual patient endurance sometimes looks like challenge, confrontation, and not getting along. Sometimes actual love, faith, and service, and patient endurance isn't quiet, and sometimes actual love and actual patience isn't polite. That's what we need to think about this morning. Let me just bring it uh, ultra real for us for a moment. How many of you know that the wife who has an alcoholic husband, the thing she needs to do is kick his butt out? That actual love doesn't let him stay in the home, harm the children, verbally abuse or even physically abuse everyone in the house and terrorize the family. That's not patient endurance and it's actually not love. It's not love for her, it's not love for the kids, and it's not love for him. How many of you know you don't let someone do that to their lives, right? So sometimes real love and real patient endurance isn't polite, and sometimes it's confrontational, and that's what we're seeing this morning. Does that make sense? Okay, good. All right, here's what we have. 
some good stuff going on, but then some bad stuff, and Jesus is pointing it out. And it is sort of packaged in this Old Testament idea again. So we've got to do some more Old Testament. Can we do that for a second? We did it last week. We've got to do it again. Jesus says that inside this, inside this church, uh, there's a woman that he calls Jezebel, and she is leading his servants into sexual morality and into food sacrifice to idols, and we'll get into that. But we have to at least back up here and ask ourselves a question. Uh, number one, who is Jezebel, and why is Jesus pointing this out? Okay, uh, number one, Jezebel was a person in the Old Testament. She was married to King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. And you can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 16 through 22. Heck of a read. I highly recommend it. And King Ahab was an evil king, really, really evil. And one of the reasons that Ahab was so evil is because his wife helped him be evil. And his wife was Jezebel, okay? So there's that. Now, I just want to back up for a second and look at this passage here and what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. She calls herself a prophet. She leads my servants astray. In the context of this church, this could mean that there was a woman there who considered herself a prophet and she was teaching the church things that were counter to what Jesus wanted taught in his church and it was leading his people astray. Or it could just mean that a spirit, um, a, uh, an ideology had been turned loose in that church that was like Jezebel. Okay, do you see that? And it's unclear. Uh, my guess is that there probably were actual people and maybe an actual person, maybe even an actual woman, maybe uh, a team of people inside the church. But one thing is for sure, there's some kind of a spirit and Jesus is connecting it to Jezebel, which connects to the Old Testament. Is that convoluted enough? Are we all together? Because if we need to stop, we'll stop right here. Okay, so something was happening and it was like Jezebel. Well, what did Jezebel do? Well, if you read... 1 Kings 16 through 22, here's what you find out. That Jezebel comes to her husband Ahab, who was already a whacked out guy, and she introduces a new kind of worship inside of Israel. Now, Israel was called to worship God and God alone, and Jezebel's like, well, you know, there are other options. And so she brings some of those other options, and her favorite was the god Baal. And not only did she introduce Baal worship into Israel, but Ahab got so into it, he's like, we should build like temples and shrines to Baal. Now imagine that. You're the king of Israel. You are uh, the nation who is God's chosen people, called out from all the nations, who has been delivered from Egypt. And when you hear the words delivered from Egypt, you have to do this calculation. Delivered from even the gods of Egypt. You know, the Exodus story is the story of God kicking all the other gods' butts, right? I alone am God. You know, that's the, that's the thing. And then a few hundred years later, you get this, this, this people who have radically uh, identified around the idea that there is one God and he is supreme and he delivers the oppressed and he hears the hurting. And now you have the king, the leader of that person and his wife, taking them right back to the gods who enslaved them, right? Okay, amazing. And that seems to be what's happening here in this church in the book of Revelation, which is to say that some things are just like, they're like 
iconic temptations, right? So, so the, the, the temptation to, to slide away from the one true God of Israel, the temptation to dabble with other practices, the temptation to be led astray into some sort of mixture, that's not just an Old Testament temptation. Uh, that's not just what primitive people did back then, you know? Uh, that is Old Testament, and it's New Testament, and if Jesus is calling it out, how many of you know that it might even be here, you know? Which is one of the reasons I wanted to sort of pick this series up. So, that's what was going on. And just like we read last week, anytime you find the worship of false gods, you almost always find two things. In the Old Testament, and then here again in the New Testament, and maybe here even this morning. What you find is there's some sort of a connection between sexual immorality and then feasting in the name of that God. Because worshiping these gods was always about survival and fertility. And so these temples, you'd find lots of temple prostitution and then offerings of animals and grain. Why? Because you'd want to appease the gods, right? Like if you appease the gods, then maybe our crops will go well. And if you appease the gods, then maybe he'll let us have children. And why is having a children a big deal? Because you need somebody to help you farm the land and fight off your enemies and preserve your tribe. That's sort of the idea, right? So, either an actual woman or a spirit was enticing Christians to relax two things, their sexual ethic and then how they relate to the surrounding pagan culture. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says that our bodies matter. He says that who we are and who we worship and what we love always reflects some very basic things. And one of the things that it reflects is our sexual choices. And this isn't always obvious to us. Uh, because we do not have temple worship here in America in the same way that they had then. Uh, in the Old Testament, during the time of Ahab and Jezebel, there would have been temples built to the gods. They would have made sacrifices there. And there would have almost always been prostitutes associated with those temples. And you have to wonder why. What's the connection between worship, sex, and food? Well, in the Old Testament, on the surface anyway, it was the idea that we could gain favor with the gods. But we have technology to fix most of that for us these days. So we might wonder if there's a connection for us in our times. And I, I think there is. One of the things that I think sex does in particular is, is I think sex points to that mysterious overlap between human agency and the divine. This is why sex is always connected to worship. Sex is that weird space where human agency and the divine overlap. And here's what I mean. Uh, how many of you know that you're here this morning because of human agency? <laughs> like your mom and dad did something. Or you wouldn't be here, okay? Your mom and dad did something or you wouldn't be here. However, have you ever wondered about this? Like, why that sperm and why that egg? Right? So in the midst of human agency, there's this other question that sort of sits behind it, and it's the question of, well, why that? And I'm talking about, like, you, okay? You've got to think about yourself here. Like, why that one particular sperm out of all the others, and why that one particular egg out of all the others that your mom was carrying around? Why that combination, you know? And, 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 and how did that happen? And then once you begin to th ask yourself that, 
you, you, begin, to, you begin to realize uh, this, that, that no one ever asked to be born, right? Are you aware of that? Like, you're here, but you didn't ask to be here, you know? So there was some human agency involved, but then out of all the options that exist within your mother and your father, this one particular option made a connection. And then beyond that, you didn't even ask to be here. Uh, you didn't choose the time you were born. You didn't choose the family that you were born to. You didn't choose the geography or the place that you would be born. And how many of you understand that just being a person means that you are some weird combination of human agency and the choices of God? Right? Yeah. And so sex is always an exploration of divine mystery. And it's a unification of past, present, and future. Sex is a past, act, a past act that has brought me here, and then that same act is how I can reach into the future. It's, it's, it's the collision of all these things. And in a mysterious way, it's, it's timeless in that way. Again, it's, it's pointing to something divine. How many of you know that God was, is, and forever will be, right? And so even our sexual activity is in a really, really deep and mysterious way pointing to what was, what is, and what could be. Right? And so for thousands of years, people have rightly connected sex to God or gods. Now, you and I, we don't worship Baal, and uh, we don't worship Molech. That's good. You know, <laughs> high fives all around. But we might be worshiping the modern gods of self-fulfillment and satisfaction. Or maybe we're just plain blind to all the ways that sex point past human agency, and they point to something divine. Sex is acting out something much, much bigger. And that's what Jesus points. He says, hey, there's this woman, Jezebel, and she's leading my people astray into sexual immorality. Also, Jesus points out this thing of food sacrifice to idols. And how many of you know, like, like you can read that and go, ah, right? Like, I've never, ah, big deal, you know? What does that matter? Here's what I think Jesus is saying in it. I think Jesus is saying that where we fellowship, it's not just about food. It's not just about a bite of food. Jesus is saying something much more specific. He's saying that where we fellowship and find our joy and connection really matters. That's where food sacrifice to idols comes into play. See, today temple worship isn't happening. It's not a part of our culture. You and I don't have to worry about being included uh, in our community based upon our participation in a cult. Thank God. But how many of you know that our culture is still holding out the promise of connection, community, satisfaction, and nourishment in all kinds of arenas uh, that might even look like church, might even sometimes overlap, but in the end, they're disobedient to Jesus? You think, well, what are you talking about, Adam? Uh, I'm thinking about the ways that our political parties often mingle in the church, and they're always asking for your allegiance. You know? Uh, this is how temple worship worked back then. I'll just make this maybe a little more applicable for you. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, you wanted to be in the community, whatever that community was in the nation, in the tribe, well, you had to worship the gods that everyone worshipped. So your inclusion, and by inclusion I mean your, um, your sustenance, uh, your future, your protection, and your connection to the life of that community was directly related to do you worship the same gods we worship, Right? Now, fast forward to Rome, uh, in the culture that this letter was written to, 
there would have been pagan temples, just like we read last week, pagan temples, but there also would have been civic, civic religion temples because the Caesar was worshipped as the son of God and uh, Rome, Rome was basically... Um, was basically venerated as not just uh, the ruling government, but as uh, a sign of like uh, divine blessing in the world, right? And so your status as a Roman citizen was deeply connected, not just to the pagan worship, but to the civic religious worship that happened in that territory. Does that make sense? And so what does it mean to be a good Roman? What does it mean to be a good Roman? Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta venerate the... The Caesar is the son of God and put your trust in him and all these sorts of things. And then here comes this Christian community. It begins to subvert all of that. That's why Jesus is Lord is like wildly political statement. And all of this, all of this is current for us even now. Like how many of you know that uh, the political parties really, really, really want to overlap the church and they want to make us believe that our connection, our sustainability, and our future is connected to who specifically is in office and which, which either left or right political agenda is ruling the country, and that there are divine rights uh, attached to both. And Jesus says, no, actually no. Uh, Jesus is Lord and Donald Trump is not. Jesus is Lord and the GOP is not, and neither are the Democrats. This is deeply, deeply current for us even now. And so this idea of food sacrifice to idols, how many of you know that even in the United States right now, we're, we're oftentimes just, we're just taking in the nourishment that CNN and Fox News give us because we want the connection and we want the supposed life force that comes from those places. Does that make sense? And Jesus is like, no, that woman Jezebel's tricking you. You know, that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. Jesus is setting up a whole new kingdom, and he's the Lord, you know? And I'll just tell you how I apply this for me. Um, I follow Jesus. Uh, I have only pledged my allegiance to Jesus and no one else. Uh, praise God for America. Praise God for a free place. But let me tell you something else. It ain't the kingdom of heaven. There's something better. There's something better, and it doesn't have borders, and it doesn't have boundaries, and its gates are forever open. You can read it at the end of Revelation. There are 12 gates in the eternal city, which, uh, which, by the way, if there's gates, what that means is God has a choice, right? But it says that the gates are always open so long as it's day, and because the Lamb is the light of the city, it's always day, which is to say that the gates are forever open. And so what Revelation is basically telling us at the end of the book is God put in gates, which is to say that he has a choice, and he has chosen forever to leave the gates open. There is something better, and I want my heart, and I want my allegiance to be captured by the king who runs that place, that place. Let me t I just preached the gospel to you. Woo. Isn't it better? See, it's better, but you know why? Because you don't have to be afraid. Oh, I've got to keep those people out, you know? Got to make sure that we're keeping the right people in and the wrong people out. Oh, my goodness. There's something better, and Jesus gives stern warnings to either the spirit or the person who is acting as Jezebel in this community. He says, hey, if you don't stop, I'm going to throw you on a bed of suffering. He says, basically, in the place where perversion exists, there's going to be judgment. And anybody who commits adultery with her is also going to be judged. And maybe in this case, it was actual adultery. 
Or perhaps it's just becoming intimate with Jezebel's ways or Jezebel's teachings, you know? And Jesus says this really hard thing. He says, I'm going to strike your children dead. That's what he tells Jezebel. He says, I'm going to strike your children dead. Uh, Here's what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying that the outcomes of perversion and adultery is going to be a dead end. You know? Uh, To those of us who are in the church even now, the outcomes of an adulterous heart, and an adulterous heart in the book of Revelation is an unfaithful heart to Jesus. So to the degree that you or I are unfaithful, to the degree that the church is unfaithful to Jesus, all the outcomes of that perverted intimacy will be a dead end. That's what Jesus says. There's a lot more. We're going to skip to the end. Jesus makes a promise for the overcomer. Jesus makes a promise for the overcomer to the victorious. He says two things to this church for all those who overcome and for all those who are victorious. He says, you're going to get authority. He says the church is going to get authority, and it's going to be authority like I have. Uh, it's the authority to, to rule and judge the nations. You know, It's an amazing thing. And then he says, you're also going to receive the morning star. It's interesting, interesting little offer. The authority that's being offered is the authority that comes from submission to God and his ways. I think this is really important because sometimes we read this passage and we go, yeah, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do the Jesus thing and then we're going to, we're going to kill the world, <laughs> you know? Because that's, that's sometimes the way we think. Because deep inside of us, we have these like tribal tendencies, you know? We're going to like, we're going to win. And not only are we going to win, but we're going to make sure that everyone else loses. And not only are you going to lose, but I'm going to make sure you like suffer and you're losing, you know? And I'm not entirely sure that that's the kingdom idea that's being presented here. Because you have to think about the greater context of Jesus' person, right? Jesus is promising authority, but it's ultimately the authority that comes from submission to God and his ways. Uh, How many of you know that Jesus says at the end of the Gospels in Matthew that I have all authority? So Jesus has all authority. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't just have all authority at the end of the Gospels? He always had all authority, right? Like he's never not had all authority. It's who he is. But how many of you know that the Gospels show us this really crazy collision where Jesus is the person who has all authority, who has all authority, but he lived his life submitted to the Father, right? Isn't that an amazing thing? So Jesus had all authority, and he submitted his life to the Father, and because of this, he ultimately laid down his life and trusted that God would vindicate him by resurrection. What does this mean for us? When we read this passage, if there's any authority that's going to be applied to the church, it'll be the authority of submission and not the authority of conquering and being stronger, tougher, and meaner, okay? And if there's any authority that will be applied to the church, and if there's any authority that's going to judge the nations, it will be the authority that comes from living submitted to God and His ways, which are the ways of service and compassion and mercy. I believe God wants to judge the world with compassion, mercy, kindness, and submission to His will and His ways. That's the Jesus story. That's the Jesus story. And then he offers this other promise, and he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. I'm going to give you the morning star, which is 
really strange. So you have to read the rest of Revelation. And one of the things that you find out about Jesus is that Jesus says, I am the morning star, right? And so here again is this thing that's been happening as we've been going through these passages. Part of the reward for an overcomer and part of the reward for those who are victorious is the reward of actually receiving Jesus himself. Like he is the reward, you know? And one of the things I think that we need to be considering, even as our own Christian discipleship is being formed, is this. Is Jesus an actual reward for me? Like, that's the thing, you know? That's the thing. And ultimately, that'll be the only thing that will allow you or I to ever remain faithful. That's what unfaithfulness is. It's when you and I get duped into believing that something else is the reward, you know? Like your own personal sexual satisfaction. If that becomes the reward, well, then that's the reward. But if Jesus is the reward, well, then that's something totally different. Yeah, can you see? Are you growing to be the kind of person who can see that Jesus is the reward? Jesus is offering himself. Now, this little phrase, the morning star, uh, it's also probably, if you just want to go astrological, it's also probably, probably the rooted in the planet Venus as well, because the planet Venus is usually the brightest thing in the morning. And so there's also this sense of Jesus saying, I'm going to give you myself, but there's also this sense in which Jesus is saying, if you will be faithful, if you won't get your identity from your connection to some other God, if you won't get your identity from uh, the way that culture has shaped or the deals that culture is offering, if you won't root your sexual identity in anything other than me. I'll give you the morning star, which is to say, I will make you a sign of a new day. It's like, that's, that's, when, that's when Venus is most apparent. It's like, it's like in the morning. It's the sign of the dawn. You know, I'll make you the new day rather than the end of the last day, right? It's, a, it's an eschatological promise. Uh, eschatological is just a big word meaning like the good stuff that's coming, you know? It is, it is the breaking of a whole new day. And how many of you know that at the end of Revelation, uh, the day doesn't end? How many of you would like to be a part of the day that doesn't end, you know? How, yeah, that's the promise that's being held out. How do, we, how do we do that? Well, we've just become faithful to Jesus in everything. We become faithful to Jesus. We let him be uh, the Lord of our life and not just the Savior of our life. The Lord of our life. This is the picture that Revelation is offering to those who have ears to hear, is that Jesus is not just a Savior, but he's Lord. Not only that, but if you'll let him be Lord, you'll get to experience his saving grace. You'll get to experience the, the dawn that doesn't end. You'll get to receive the morning star. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Everyone else can stand up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.